Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. That's not me. That's not me. That's not me. (laughs) The Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 204, a.k.a. God Help the Hobo is sponsored by Teaser, the app for before the first act. (laughs) Well, Pete, here we are continuing to chug along with Jessica Jones. We have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. tomorrow. Uh, I can't believe that we are at the halfway point of March. Before you know it, it'll be April, Infinity War, our minds exploding. It's It's just such a great time to be podcasting all this stuff. It feels like yesterday, Matt, that we were up at the Paley Center in New York City for the cast that's now been a week. It is flying by, but you know what has made that happen is so far a tremendous second season of Jessica Jones. Well, with that, it's time for some surveillance. Let's see what the episode was all about. It's summer in New York City. Everyone's even more pissed off. Jessica Jones is in anger management class, killing a fly. The therapist admits to his own dark history of spousal abuse. Now he's the one running the show. We see a montage of anger, admission, and then finally Jessica speaks. Her family killed, experiments, rape, forced to kill someone, and now she's in here. Walking home, anger remains in the air. She's ready to punch a Hispanic woman entering her building. Jessica returns to her office with Jim Beam. Malcolm is on the cover of a gossip magazine as the other man, and Jessica looks at pictures of the mystery woman. There's a zoom and enhance cliche. She calls Trish, who's still being hounded by the paparazzi. They reveal that the mystery woman is wearing a wig. There's only three places that make a wig that good. Griffin arrives, and the phone call ends. We stay with Jessica, who's visited by young Vito, Can you teach me superpowers, he asks. He's ready to jump out the window. Jessica saves him, but Oscar and his ex, the Hispanic woman, blame her. Back to Trish, she kisses Griffin for the paparazzi, proving that love is real. Later, Griffin offers her a shot to get into ZCN, but she would rather get that news job by proving herself to herself. The story also involves Jerry Hogarth, who's seeking alternative treatment options to ALS. She calls out to her assistant, but only Price Cheng is there. He pleads with her not to drop the case. He's angry at Jessica Jones. However, Jerry says, you got beat by a girl. Deal with it. Give up control. Price questions why she's lost her edge. Later on the street, Jerry sees a woman on crutches fall, and Jerry won't help. She ultimately confronts her doctor, wanting the cure, a final cure for ALS. The doctor's got nothing, not even the cutting-edge ones. Though she might know about some illegal ones, but doesn't say so. Jerry wants a quick, painless guarantee. She wants a way out, faster than the two years it took brain cancer to kill her father. She'll get her meds, either from the doctor or a dealer in Amsterdam. Later in the episode, she ends up cruising online for Russian meds. Back to Trish and Jessica, they're off to Sally's wig shop, acting all nice. There's a Patsy pick on the wall, with Sal surprised to see Trish. Patsy bit her once, too. Has Sal seen this mystery woman? Sal won't talk, 
until $300 later. She talks mystery woman who has no hair, so sad, must be a cancer patient. They need more IGH hospital information. Jessica is shown the video of the Max-Trish interaction from a few episodes ago, and Jessica is ready to bust heads, but is slowed when she's reminded that she is, of course, under probation. The story moves to Greenpoint Studios, where wiser birds go round the corner. The movie's star is shown a super fun movie, that of Max's confession to Trish. Later, they confront Max himself. He finds out his star has walked. JJ is nauseated by him and tells him three letters, I-G-H, get the info or else. Jessica is fired up over Max taking what he wants from women, girls, little girls. Jessica punches the car and Max ends up calling for the files. Elsewhere, Malcolm is texting Marlene, age 27. Cheng shows up, glad to see that the recovering addicts Malcolm and Patsy are together. Cheng seems ready to poach Malcolm and quotes Malcolm's father concerning serving self or humanity. Later, Jessica gets a call from Hogarth. Anything on Chow and Benowitz? Just expensive client gifts. Oscar arrives at the door apologetic. You saved Vito's life, so no eviction. Plus, here's some booze, so that'll help, right? Jessica says she'll drink it alone unless he had something else in mind. Cut to, oh my! But it's Griffin and Trish. Hashtag Trishin? Anyhow, they're two peas in a pod, ready to shower together. Except as she walks away, his phone rings. He can't talk. She's here. Secrets. Back to Jessica's apartment, her and Oscar are just drinking. His problem is with just her, not powered people. He's trying to protect his son. The ex is nasty, though. It's just how she is. But how is Jessica how she is? That's the season question, hombre. And she doesn't hate everyone, just him. Now they kiss. And rather expeditedly, too. Though he's not ready for his belt to fall off just yet, since she did hate him a half an hour ago. He bounces. All chivalrous, I guess. With that, Jessica's on her way out. Malcolm grabs her and updates her on Price's job offer. He needs to do something. He's an addict and needs to do something. He needs trust and responsibility and 25% of the take. She talks him down to 20% and it's a deal. Not Marlene steps out, wearing not too much. Marissa, Marlene, maybe? Seems like Malcolm has a new addiction here. Jess and Trish have some IGH info now. First Jessica Jones and the Wizard, and now Inez Green. One goog later, she's got some misdemeanor citations, appears to be homeless, but from a familiar neighborhood. God help the hobo who crosses her wrong. Trish is ready to pack a huge gun. Our pal Mike Sorensen says that it looks like an AK-47 with a folding stock, iron sights, and CAR-style front grips. Bottom line is, that's a big gun. But how about instead they try the modified taser from Simpson's bag? That'll work after taking Jess out. Jess and Trish ask the homeless in that area, and a man comes forward with info on mean as mean. He'll talk for more cash and points to the old bank building. They enter, finding trash and tension. Trish also finds Simpson's inhaler in her pocket. Will she dope up? Yes, and fends off Inez, the attacker. Meanwhile, someone is breaking into Alias Investigations, taking all the IGH info. Malcolm and another lady friend sneak in. She wants JJ's booze and a chance to meet a PI, and he wants out of there, until he realizes the place has been hit. 
Ultimately, it's a Cheng job by way of his associate Nick. Nick, who gets brutally killed by the mystery woman while trapped in his own van. Back in Shantytown, Inez wakes, wondering who these women are and fearing that they're with IGH. She does recognize Mystery Woman, the latter of whom was a patient, while Inez was the nurse who Mystery Woman threw into a glass cabinet. The other nurse wasn't so lucky. Trish and Jess drive Inez back to Jessica's apartment. Trish is obviously still souped up from the inhaler, though Jessica is none the wiser. Police have found Nick's body, assuming it was Jessica, who is quickly arrested, saying, that's not me, that's not me. What suspects draw our focus in this episode? Pete, where will we start? Close to home, Matt. Griffin Sinclair. Yeah, not a big surprise that there's shenanigans about, and the story could still give him the, uh, the uh, I don't know, shoots and ladders shoot back to goodly goodness if it's, but babe, I was just double checking to make sure that you were safe, and, and that could be the rock bottom truth ultimately, but... We had some snooping last episode. We have secret conversation. Hold on. She's right here. here. Okay, she's gone. Go ahead. I mean, that's (laughs) I'm just going to get a shower, Matt. Uh, (laughs) You know, you keep podcasting and uh, you talk to whoever while I'm I'm showering. But yeah, that was dirty pool if ever there was. Something is afoot. Like you said, is there the trap door that, oh, it was my agent and I was – getting another deal and I didn't want to make you feel bad. There's always that if you've got a writerly and eloquent enough solution. But right now, Matt, it only makes him look bad. Particularly since, and how do I put this for our podcast listeners, Pete, since Trisha says she can't always trust her heart. uh, There's almost the story seeding there. No pun intended on that second part. um, That, that, she recognizes that sometimes she makes poor decisions with men. She's saying that to a man who she may be making a poor decision with, unbeknownst to her at least. So it, it, it's layers on top of layers. It's, it's Griffinception here. They have repeatedly made a deal about her poor luck and love, and I think that's completely intentional. So what more perfect way to drive that home than the fact that this guy – could just be seeking, uh, you know, uh, insider information, looking for the story, uh, getting some with benefits uh, along with it. Bottom line, Pete, I'm going to keep one eye there on good old Griffin. Who's next on the suspect list? That would be somebody we've seen there before as well, Matt. Price Chang. You know, it's funny. As as has been the case with some of his, if not all of his previous episodes, um, he is in opposition to our hero, so that makes him appear villainous, uh, you know. And while I think maybe he's going a bit too far with this lawsuit, and then also now trying to poach Malcolm in order to take Jessica's business out from under her uh, by taking away her right hand man, none of it is that villainous. I mean, it's all. Okay, fine. I guess to be fair, he does employ Nick to do an illegal, you know, breaking and entering and steal all this stuff. So that that is crossing a line. Trying yeah. to steal away the, the the competition, you know, that's just all that's just all good old fashioned capitalism right there. Uh, his desire to sue 
the competitor who physically beat him and he wants to pursue that legally, which will also have business ramifications. You know, I mean, jerk move because I like Jessica Jones best of all, but I kind of see where he's coming from there, too. I have to fight you a little bit on that, Matt, that he's taken the high road several times against Jessica. He's implied it with Hogarth that he is the better uh, professional. And now he sends a guy in Nicholas Spanos who winds up getting murdered to boot. If that isn't karma coming around and not by Jess, um, thus proving uh, Price Chang is in the wrong. I don't know what is this guy. He is way too into himself and his V-neck t-shirts and his. <laughs> How else would you see the upper pecs? <laughs> and his and his short, uh, his his short sleeves sleeves. Okay, it's hot this is in Manhattan. Savory individual, Matt. Uh, the defense rests. The defense rests. Uh, I think when Hogarth is- sees you as <laughs> tells you to give up. Okay, you know you're in the wrong. I think that he he is just an endlessly fascinating character because everything that you said is true, along with a certain uh, dude bro, although I'm thinking of another word that has a D and a B in it, but that that kind of dude bro uh, affectation that he puts forth. I agree with everything you're saying. Here's the one problem. This is the fourth episode, and he's had somebody else on the sly break into a place like that's his greatest actual crime you know crime again crime of a crime of law the rest of it is just a super intense guy um i dig that drive even though i want him to get the heck either out of the way of my favorite marvel character jessica jones or to to form you know form uh, an alliance with her of some sort uh strictly professional um but yeah, I, I just love that we get this, you know, we're, at, we're still at a point in these four episodes where we don't have like a full, you know, kingpin baddie to be driving the episode. He's providing some of the villainous flavor without any of those villainous calories, Pete. Well, he's a dirty birdie, and that's all we'll say about that. Let's talk about uh, uh, Nicholas Spanos, Matt. Um, gone too soon, but not without making this impression where he uh, first is the unseen taking all of Jess's evidence while she's chasing down Inez Green or who I like to call Minez Mean um, and then paying dearly for it. Uh, I mean, I mean, so, so briefly on screen, by the way, Pete, continuing with our discussion of they need to use, obvious technology so we know what's going on i know that bluetooth headsets are a plenty still nowadays but i feel like they've been taken over by either the wired or the wireless headphones but clearly somebody made a call in the production like no we need a big bluetooth with a little like microphone thing glowing blue so people know he's on the phone hands-free but i digress um I, great character for the two scenes he was in and then such an evocative way that he gets killed off i mean you know what are those things uh you know it, it's the barrels in jaws you know it's what you don't see the fact that you hear him banging around there in the back of that van the van rocking and rolling back and forth and then you know just this twisted body matching 
yet another time that we've either heard about or seen Mystery Woman uh, twisting somebody's spine straight around. Well, in Nick, Matt, who just absolutely gets pounded by our next and, and greatest suspect in Mystery Woman, um, you've, you've got the logical progression of Price Chang. You've got the actual uh, thief, the burglar, uh, the corporate espionage, uh, all wrapped up in one bald burrito. Wow, that is uh, that is a strong take, Pete. I'm going to share just a super quick theory here. Not quite a full blown theory, but it has to do with Nick. Follow me here, Nick breaking in in the middle of summer what's the opposite of summer winter what's another guy named nick who breaks in in the winter saint nicholas who's opposed to saint nicholas krampus <laughs> therefore is mystery woman a modern reinterpretation of the dutch krampus time will tell no, <laughs> no. well that but, was good while it lasted but pete to be serious for a moment krampus of course not dutch i'm thinking about of our pal fred in the netherlands uh, krampus comes from austria bavaria croatia your czech republic hungary etc that 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 part of europe so pete on from krampus and on from mystery woman do we have mystery woman as a suspect i should hope so she beat a dude to death using her fists and a van as the weapon absolutely we have her in our sights you know, it's funny. It took me in the middle of this episode to just have that that light bulb moment and realize, oh, she is that figure that we have not, you know, that we barely saw who killed Will, Sim uh, Will Simpson, um, if only by virtue of the neck twisting. Same thing with the story from uh, from uh, Inez about um, about how her nurse partner had her her spine completely twisted around. It kind of was this moment of. Well, on the one hand, there's not kind of the pressure of there is Kingpin, there is the hand, there is, you know, Khan out there. There's, kind of, there, there's not the bad guy with a big flourish delivered to us in the first act sort of thing. But she is that big bad out there. Is there a whole IGH behind her that I'm sure we're going to continue to investigate? Absolutely. But right now she's the shark in Jaws. She is. And the she's covering up her appearance with these wigs. We still don't understand what's going on. We know that she was a patient from, uh, Inez. She led to Inez being injured and taking up this sorrowful life, uh, that, that she now experiences. So yeah, she remains the big bad out there. Um, and the, the jaws metaphor is appropriate, not quite to the level that we did it with Fisk. Um, and it was funny, too, upon rewatching the first season of Jessica Jones, it was amazing how long it took before uh, Kilgrave really started to appear in a substantive amount in those episodes. So uh, that they're doing this in a little bit of a different way with a female villain of a superpowered nature. Uh, I'm fine with, we know that Janet Mateer plays mystery woman. We don't know, or I know, and Matt doesn't know yet who she plays. And, uh, yeah, if you're, you're playing along at home and you haven't binged this yet, 
um, you're, you're going with the story. And right now we're not discussing who she is. I also really appreciate with the, the ending, this notion that, you know, it's not, it's not Jessica Jones. It is the mystery woman. Um, we're hammering home more of the detective stuff this season. Yeah. Yes. There was investigation last season, but kind of, it was more kind of investigation into her own past, which is PI work of a sort. But the fact that this crazy gumshoe has been collared by the bad guys and the cops think it's her when actually there, there's a bad guy out there that you can't even imagine. It's, you know, it's Scarface. It's the people shipping heroin in. It's, you know, whatever your kind of standard, you know, gumshoe PI uh, mantra is, we've comic booked it up here, but it's, it's this very familiar place uh, uh, in terms of uh, the old PI. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Pete? Bouncy balls, Matt. How easy to destroy are they? Well, I think for a powered person, uh, such as Jessica, probably easy, particularly once you get your grid up. One does sense that she kind of does a very Clark Kentian holding back of powers. Um, I, I think also, Pete, to whatever degree we want to read her her uh, actions as, shall we say, metaphorical, it's no surprise Jessica Jones knows how to bust a ball. Wow. Uh, the, the wig aspect of this episode, and I completely appreciated going back to Trish's old wig mistress from the day and just getting those those further glimpses of what teenage Trish was like biting this woman <laughs> high out of her mind, sober now 10 years. Like we have, we have, uh, you know, seemingly the best behavior Trish yet. We continue to see signs of that old Trish, that addictive personality several times. Now she's taken, uh, the, the medicine or the inhaler now left behind by Simpson, um, you know, part of her risky behavior from, from being a youth. But, uh, with that and with the wig aspect, Matt, I think it's really interesting. Like we have this patient, this former patient in mystery woman, she needs wigs. The assumption is it's cancer, you know, kind of like we assumed Jerry Hogarth had cancer of some feminine variety to bring attention to it on a show uh, with very, very strong female characters and leaders. Head fake, not, and likely part of the story as a genetic disorder. What do you think the need for the wig is? Just just a way to get uh, Trish uh, back in her wig mistress's shop? Uh, I mean, it certainly could be you throw in whatever associated and assorted badness that Mystery Woman is doing that might result in needing to replace the wig. You know, your your odd tussle, your odd leaping over a building in a single bound, things of that sort. Um, I would say, yeah, at this point, it probably is just kind of a, a, a story. It's moved that story ball along, no ball pun intended, but, you know, it's this opportunity to get a Trish flashback of sorts, at least narratively, uh, while continuing to move the investigation forward. Pete, here's a question for you, that which just occurred to me. So Trish has been sober for these 10 years. 
Do you think that maybe 10 years ago, Wild and Crazy Trish took a look at, at Tony Stark, who was pushing past his Wild and Crazy days and asking for more responsibility from himself, and perhaps she was inspired by him to put aside the drugs and the drink and uh, get her life cleaned up? I Here's my headcanon, Matt. She had been to a wild party of Starks at Avengers Tower, Stark Tower, and and that was the tipping point for her. Like, oh, I don't want to want to wind up like this guy. Ooh, I, I mean, joking aside, I doubt they would ever make it that that length. But it is, it no, is. Of I course mean, not. But I think it's interesting that you draw that, and I I think they whether you're on the film side or whether you're on the TV side. The, the flaws in these characters, you know, even in a show like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with Coulson, for instance, um, who everybody loves. But Coulson usually goes too far with his leadership. And now he's finally learning to let others step forward and, and leave. They lead. The guy has no life because he's assumed everything for S.H.I.E.L.D., and no wonder and, and not to go off on a tangent about another Marvel show, but I, I think that's something they do well with these characters and to have this history of substance abuse in both uh, Trish and Malcolm's backstories, Matt, hmm, um, I, I, I think serves them well as developed characters. I do think it is worth the briefest ponderance to say, you know, Tony Stark, somebody of his visibility, particularly when he when he presented himself as Iron Man, you, you know, kind of socially, what would that effect be? Again, I'm not I'm not seriously suggesting. And thus Trish Walker got her head out of the cocaine and said, I shall I, you know, I shall aspire to be like him. But, you know, I mean, whether it's whether it's one election where you're inspired to wear a blue hat like the blue hat guy or another election where you're inspired to wear the red hat like the red hat guy, whatever it might be, you do have these kind of social seismic events where, you know, where, where public opinion shifts uh, to whatever degree it does. So, Pete, enough about Trish's hidden past with Tony Stark. Let's get more substantive back to this show. What else do you have on your uh, on your theory radar there? Malcolm's dad is some sort of author. Uh, Price Chang quotes his father in his latest article to Malcolm. What do you make of that? I, I thought the parents were like social workers. Um, that was the first time we've heard anything about his father being an author. Well, I think that we can do some reasonable backtracking here. Malcolm has referenced uh, his parents getting him involved with Habitat for Humanity when he was seven years old. Now we have this extra reference to his father apparently being a man whose uh, whose word carries weight, whether it's the latest article because he's a philanthropist or because he's a uh, you know a titan in industry. I'll tell you what we have not seen. We have not seen his father involved in his son's life. Now whether that's because of some sort of pre-existing uh, you know split between them and bring the mother into it if indeed the mother is still around um, or whether heroin had to do with that. You know, I don't know, but never before have I stopped to think, oh, Malcolm really seems alone in the world. I mean, aside from him saying in this episode and certainly in prior ones, Jessica, keep me busy so I'm not getting into trouble. Um, you know, it hasn't occurred to me, oh, this supporting character who exists to support the title character 
you know, he's, he's lacking in a family way, but, uh, but that he is. Yeah. And I think, uh, that they're checking this as a way of kind of preparing you, I think is a interesting way to go about it. Matt, these Chow and Benowitz client gifts seem at the very least suspicious, inordinate amounts of money. And part of it is to make us not care for them, that they're giving clients exorbitant amounts in sushi and chocolate bars and this and that. And Jess is like, where's mine? Oh, you were pro bono. You don't get any gifts. Um, you know, there's though the stock market, as we're speaking, Matt, uh, is riding high. There remains this anti stock market, uh, anti Wall Street uh, mentality on Main Street because of these ridiculous perks these guys have, these salaries they make, and then the ones that they get into government and how they influence there. Um, do you make anything in particular out of these gifts? If they are going to make something with it, then I think they need to make more story oomph out of it for what they have thus far. I think within the context of the scene, you see that Jessica's digging a little but not a lot. I kind of read that as, the, you know, the Jessica investigation of Chow and Benowitz is on story timeout, but we need to give it something in this episode so it's not like, hey, sorry to hear about your awful terminal condition, whatever, I'll get to it later. Um, off screen, she's doing some digging. I also, you know, I don't know enough about that that world of high-priced law firms and whatnot. Certainly the fact that Jerry is unconcerned with any of it i mean if that's how if that's how it gets done and if that's all above board and that's if that's the way it is you know uh okay i guess i guess that's how it is i i, I don't know i time will tell uh time will tell with that pete here's one for you uh we have certainly had plenty of reference to malcolm needing things to do to how he has an addictive personality then we have uh marlene not marlene marissa Maybe no, she actually was Marlene uh, on the teaser app. He called her all these other names um, when she was over. It it crossed my mind, Pete. Maybe he's just making his way through through the teaser app. You know, maybe Marlene was last night, and it's you know Mary tonight, and he's just you know whatever, whatever. Bottom line, Pete, the fact that he has uh, the fact that he has enjoyed. And flagrante delicto with whatever her name is and doesn't know her name i feel like the writing is a little out ahead of things saying look he's replaced heroin with sexual interaction oh i think it's it's very clear that's been on the wall how many times has he needed to tell jess matt you know we addicts we're we're not good at you know not having work um, and I get it. And that's from a from a story sense. That's a completely reasonable outgrowth of his arc. Um, but, yeah, the the at least two different women that he's with in the episode, the, the second drunk girl who comes in and they notice that all the stuff is gone out of Jess's office slash apartment. And Matt, there seems to be no booze around. Did the guy take? Did Spanos take the booze too? 
I, I, to be honest, Pete, I just assume that Jessica goes bottle by bottle. Like she does not keep a keep a you know a bar off to the side. She just buys her bottle of you know Jim Beam, and then when it's empty, she goes and buys another at one of those. You know, as we mentioned the podcast or two ago, you know, at one of those uh, you know New York bars where you can only buy beer. 20 hours a day so yeah. if it's between four and seven she's just grumpy and then at 7 a.m continues uh, continues pete she also has an alcohol problem there's only so far i can laugh about this well but. it's it's funny that you bring that up and um i am not uh a, a whiskey um person but she doesn't have a brand which is very unusual and actually speaks to her self-loathing alcoholism she always she she has used the same brand a couple times but she always uses a different brand she never has one brand that is a really great catch on your part and that's a really great kind of production thing there completely um let me ask you this matt is there anything scarier than a kind Hogarth. Um, <laughs> a mystery woman in the back of the van, but I get your point. I mean, there, there's there's a strange energy to, to Jerry in this episode. Also, an episode where she essentially cuts the cuts the doctor to ribbons by saying, uh, "You know, what did they teach you in medical school? I'm gonna I'm gonna you know deal with this without you, that sort of thing." But uh, yeah, then she is having those moments of reflection and some kindness. And then with um, Griffin, okay, uh, who do we think he's talking to? I would say the boring answer is that Griffin is talking to somebody at whatever their CNN uh, port is. Is that ZCN or I have it somewhere in the notes. But um, whatever his news channel is, um, that's kind of who I assume he's talking to at this point is there tons of story potential where yeah zcn where where oh surprise surprise he's actually working for the kingpin he's working for you know the the head of igh that has gotten his or her way into the news world or something like that i guess but i kind of feel like you know, it gets back to the Hellcat rule. Everything doesn't need to be a thing. Sometimes things can just be their own thing. So at this point, I feel like he at best is trying to protect her and at worst is trying to simply steal her story. Back to Hogarth seeking these alternate ALS therapies. Um, her doctor talks about years, decades. Gee, Matt, if only there was something in the story that could find some kind of genetic link. Later, we see her looking up Russian phenobarbital and uh, going to make the purchase there. She says to her doctor she wants something quick, painless, and guaranteed. That didn't sound like cure. That sounded like a solution. I agree. I think that conversation started you know, hey, dollars to donuts, how long until there's a cure for ALS? And when the answer was, there is no cure, very quickly it was, great, how do I kill myself? How do I end this before it starts to get the least bit bad? Uh, I think that, um, I mean, I certainly, 
it, it's an argument where you can kind of sort of see both sides. And I'm certainly not advocating Jerry's extreme take, but you can understand the doctor saying, I'm trained to celebrate life in all its forms. And you can also, quite Will frankly, you stop saying that? Do you people say anything else? <laughs> Uh, I, I think also on a certain level, we can all just really sheer, uh, share Jerry's fear of, you know, this long prog progression, this this debilitating uh, progression. Again, I'm not advocating Jerry's solution of it, but I think that that fear is something that's really, really palpable. Uh, then you add to it the fact that she watched her father at the same age decline, not of the same condition, but decline. And two years is a long time. Or it felt like a long time then, but that's got nothing on eight years. Uh, again, we have this complexity, and it's dark, and it's a little scary, but I I'm glad they're bringing this to the character. Let's check our mail drop. Here's what you have to say. To the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, Matt at facebook.com slash fantastic geek. Uh, Jeremy Richards, all the way there, from down under writes in i don't get the jj season three is better than daredevil one type of comments don't get me wrong everyone is allowed their opinion that is unless you say iron fist was the best <laughs> then you're just wrong but they are all good like how do you compare michael jordan and lebron james or kobe bryant can't we just admit they're all fantastic I think, that A, that's an excellent point, and B, there is a certain point where you do kind of, you do have to admit that you're doing, um, you know, you're comparing apples and oranges. Jessica Jones season two being better than Daredevil season one, uh, A, I mean, I know it's not the same, you know, like the production team, the entire production team did not move from the one to the other, but certainly what works and what doesn't. That's being discussed at the highest levels when Jeff Loeb and Allie Gloss sit down. I don't know to what degree Jeff Loeb is kept out of uh, kept out of uh, some of the Netflix numbers, but you know, if Allie Gloss says, "You know what? We got way too many men, thirty-five to fifty, who clocked out of Daredevil after the third episode, and then you know, a certain percentage of them came back several months later. We got to keep things moving. Boom, boom, boom." Okay, well, let's speed things up here. Let's throw into Luke Cage where we're going to have a part one bad guy and a part two bad guy, things like that. So these shows learn from each other. And yeah, I think Jessica Jones season one is better than Daredevil season one. I think that's because they learned A, some things about pacing. I also think B, they're just different creatures. And uh, as for Iron Fist, I don't know. It, it comes back to the same problem time and time again. <laughs> it's Scott Buck who... Oh. I really get the sense it's not going to be working for Marvel TV ever again. So them's the breaks. You got Scott booked. Um, but it's funny that you bring up uh, the Netflix lady, uh, Allie Gloss there. I There were a lot of interesting things that we saw at uh, the, the Paley Center panel last week. But, you know, when somebody asked a question about Netflix – usage and demographics and they immediately looked at her and they said we can't answer that and she couldn't answer she wouldn't answer it 
tells you again the amount of analytics that go into this. Um, my response to Jeremy and Matt and I are New York sports talk guys. Uh, we like listening to it on the radio. Um, and I said it may be a uniquely American thing, like the pro athlete discussion. It's pretty prevalent, though, that that people will talk about, you know, well, who is better, you know, Jordan in the 80s or LeBron now, you know, they're they can never play one another. They were never contemporaries. It's a little different here in that these shows, you know, that all four of them have have teamed up in one show. Uh, So there's that. But they're different genres is what makes it interesting as well. I think people just like to stir the drink and, and you know, to, to use a Jessica Jones uh, pun and, and to do this stuff. Jeremy replied, normally, I think I've just finished watching episode seven or eight and there's no going back. But he had said uh, after that, I'm your watch an episode of the TV show and then listen to the corresponding Fantastic Geek episode kind of guy. Uh, I think those messages came out of order there. So now he says he's up to seven or eight. So he can't even hang with us right now. He's speed the head. That's how good this show is. And I'm here to tell you, having finished it now, yes, it, it absolutely is, Jeremy. But go back and listen to us. You know you love us. <laughs> always great to hear from Jeremy. It's always mind-blowing when we hear uh, hear. <laughs> You know, from around the globe, and then you know, we heard he, from Scotland the other day on the website. Uh, somebody or on Facebook, somebody who had listened for a couple of years but finally had to, you know, give us the like and and uh, you know, interact. So, yeah, it's just so rewarding to to talk to so many fans and you know, big discussion about uh, Infinity War with Mary Kirk and her crew on Facebook, and you know, they're 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 trying to lay bets on who's gonna die and i said you know i can't answer right spoiler pete already knows who dies and i even mentioned how i had slipped to matt the other day and mentioned someone who did die and he didn't pick up on it oh wow yeah i well i didn't want to point it out when you didn't pick up on it but (laughs) i slipped but i slipped well, Pete, never slipping on us is the people who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. They keep things moving. They are our own team of Nick Spanos, except the version that lives, and uh, <laughs> Malcolms who are there to give us uh, give us our Red Bull in the morning and all that. So we want to take this opportunity to say thanks, patrons. Absolutely. And you will never be beat to death in a van by an unnamed assailant. Um, in fact, just the opposite. We will speed you away in a van so that nobody gets you. But whether you're in the windowless white van package or whether you're at the Malcolm Ducasse level, everybody who contributes gets exclusive podcast content. So get yourself over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Fantastic Geek with a P-H, all one word, today. Pete, the best, always free. How can people talk to you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,831 followers. Can't be wrong. 
And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you like. Comment on fantasticgeek.com, email fantasticgeek at gmail.com, tweet us at fantasticgeek, and check out our geeky pictures on uh, Instagram under fantasticgeek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash fantasticgeek, all one word with the PH. Like it today, just like our newfound friend in Scotland. If you're listening to us on the Pop Culture Podcast, we'll be back tomorrow to talk Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. If you're listening to us on the Jessica Jones feed, we'll be back on Sunday to talk more Jessica Jones as we race through this series. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Wow. Thanks for sharing. 